0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash BloodyElbowBlog. And as always, on BloodyElbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, the infinitely ever-living Connor Rebush. <laughs> I mean, I say as always all the time, just thinking like...
2: What's the synonym for as always? Yeah, A- as ever, my you know my perennial co-host. Yeah, the albatross around my neck
1: for my all times. Indefatigable, my in- yeah. in-
2: interminable, my intolerable.
1: Interminable co-host. is exactly the word I'm, mm-hmm. I need.
2: Yep, interminable. Yeah. In my inoperable co-host. <laughs>
1: <laughs> inoperable. But hopefully benign. <laughs> I would say usually benign, <laughs> <laughs> but certainly inoperable. But certainly inoperable. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just right there, like right around the lung or something.
2: <laughs> I'm just wrapped around your liver. Yeah sort of space alien snake creature just coiled (laughs) around a vital organ. Uh, But I'm here to give you fun commentary, not to kill you.
1: That's right. That's right. We're here to say really cruel things about (laughs) UFC cards and (laughs) UFC fighters. (laughs) I do get feedback regularly, though, that, like, I've had multiple, multiple people tell me over the years that, like, Nothing gets them more interested in a UFC card or keeps them more interested in UFC cards than our show.
2: Well, th- this is the thing is that, yeah, f- f- w- when we first started and for a long time early on, I had people who were like, God, you just shit on everything. I'm like, oh, you're so negative. I'm like, you have a million just suck ass kiss ass shows you can go and listen to
1: Exactly. There's
2: a million out there, people out there just blowing the UFC and their yeah. matchmakers non-stop. And now more often than not I feel like people have figured it out and the comments I get on this matter are people being like at least somebody's shitting on these cards. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And I'm proud proud to deliver that service that I'm not going to pretend a card is good when it's not. No, and when when a card is good, we say it is. It's not like it's impossible to please us.
1: Yeah, it's it's really not impossible to please us, and it's not usually about the fighters. It's just about creating something that entices that offers more interest than the weekly LFA card or the week, the cage warriors card or the PFL card this week.
2: We have watched far too much MMA and other combat sports to want nothing more than a violence fix. Exactly. Our, our appetite for violence is well sated. It's under control. What we want are meaningful fights. We want cool stories. We want cool characters, things we can connect to and care about. Yeah. Uh,
1: violence alone behind, isn't enough. Like we're still staying up on all who every last one of these damn <laughs> people are.
2: Also, while we complain, we're resentful. We have to yeah. cover them all, so <laughs> we have more right to complain than everyone else, goddammit.
1: Exactly, exactly. But, um, Anyways. yeah, this is an alright undercard. Um, it's
2: fine. I mean, on, on that note, we did get most of our complaining out of the way on the main card, Vivi. These are clearly not as good as fights. They're prelims. So we may as well just start talking about
1: them. Uh, Yeah, although, you know, I feel bad for, like, Randy Brown, and uh, I don't really feel bad for Neil Magny. He's sort of set his own standard of uh, quiet, grinding, um, pseudo-tedium.
2: Yeah. Who was it who, uh, who called him out? Was it Ian Gary?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'd certainly rather watch a matchup like that, but, yeah, whatever.
3: Yeah.
1: But I feel a little bad for Andy Brown. I feel a little bad for Tabitha Ricci and Jillian Robertson and uh, Jamal Emmers and Jack Jenkins and Tetsuro Tyra Clayton Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for all of these people. They have to look up and see Justin Toffa versus Austin Lang. <laughs> <laughs> that fight is dog shit. Yeah. And all of these people are doing far, far Far better work yes, than those two boys who Justin Toffa literally gets to just eat his way through camp and yes. show up with half a boxing game. And the UFC is like, oh, no, you got to be main card on the next one, man.
2: Yeah, no, no, no human deserves to have Justin Toffa seated on top of them. Exactly. But especially not like a cool flyweight prospect. Yeah. You know, come on. What are we doing here?
1: Anyway, that all out of the way. Let's talk about our featured prelim here, Neil Magney, Philip Rowe, and um
2: Neil Magney. Oh, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. Magney he 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 can have trouble with comparable range sometimes. That's not really what he struggles with not the heart of neil magni struggle is not somebody who can compete with him for distance
2: everyone who is insulated by their reach which means practically every super long and tall fighter they are going to encounter uh, an unusual amount of discomfort and danger against somebody who is close to their size that always happens
1: and i would probably say that that's going to be a bigger problem for roe than it is magni
2: yeah, Magny's been there more. He's at this point, Magny is just a super calm, uh, relaxed fighter. Yeah, and um, and his his uh, his fighting style is not reliant on his ability to outrange people. It is it is part of what often sort of guides them into into his hands and into his his waiting clinch, yeah, in the ground game. But it's not like where he needs to win the fight.
1: No. He just needs to be able to make you uncomfortable from a distance. Yeah. And I don't... And Philip Rowe, I mean, he's one of those guys. He is is the true classic kind of MMA sniper. Yes. In that he can land one really beautiful shot and then is in no position whatsoever to land the follow-up shot. It's all about the timing
2: and that natural sense of distance. Yeah. And then uh completely selling out in your efforts to to exploit those things.
3: Yeah.
1: So he's not a great combination striker. And what usually ends up happening after that is he has to fall way into the pocket against somebody. And uh Roe tends to lose the early stages of most of his fights because he ends up on his back. Because he falls into people. Yeah. And um and in his last fight, where he
2: looked pretty sharp. I mean, yeah. certainly if you're a sniper who's big, you should be landing clean shots on Nico Price. Yeah. But he, he looked, like, pretty sharp, pretty competent at finding those shots repeatedly, and then he gassed. Uh-huh. Horribly. And literally, Nico Price had to counter-gas for Phil Rowe Ro to win the fight. Yeah. And in the effort to finish Rowe, and just couldn't quite get him out of there. So. Yeah, it's not the kind of consistency or well-roundedness you expect from people
1: who beat Neil Magny. Um there and is you especially don't want to see somebody like you don't want somebody's potential to be that they would they would very likely fall behind Magny early. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. gassing or not late. You do not want to see somebody who you don't want to see an opponent where you're like, "Oh yeah, Philip Rowe's best round is the second round. Uh oh, who was that fighter? Um was Viet? He, was he Vietnamese American? Trying to remember. There's a Bantamweight fighter. Nam fan? No, not Nam fan. Maybe he wasn't Vietnamese. Um so he was a former soccer goalie and Bantamweight. Good. And Sukumta. Andre Sukumta.
2: Oh, he was Thai, I think, wasn't he? Or or Singaporean or something? Boy, we're going to embarrass ourselves. I'm just going to look it up and you talk.
1: Anyway, he, uh, yeah, he had this thing where watching him fight Laotian. He's Laotian.
2: Okay. Ah, Laotian American.
1: Yeah. Uh, He had this thing where he would fight and. His only good round of his fights was round two, because he would start slow, and he would gas late. And so by round two, he would really be clicking, and he was super dangerous in the middle round. Right. And all the rest of it was a wash. And Philip Rowe is kind of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Where he starts slow, he gets... People can often just, like, take take over on him early in fights. And then he doesn't necessarily have the cardio or experience to be a great threat late, but in that middle round where things are really clicking... Yeah. It's really dangerous.
2: Yeah, when he he gets into his flow and he starts bouncing around and and getting he's gotten a feel for the opponent's entries yeah
1: and before he starts to get tired exactly yeah and that just seems like like neil magny is he eats that kind of fighter for lunch
2: yeah if he were a faster starter then he would look a lot like the kind of guys who sometimes blow neil magny out of the water
3: Mm -hmm.
2: he's dangerous he's fast like he's, he's 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 very specifically dangerous, like one phase where he's just going to push that advantage really hard yeah. right away. Um, but yeah, letting Neil Magny get into the fight is rarely a good recipe.
1: Yeah. Cause Magny is somebody like you let you, you give him time to build, you give him a round to figure things out. Yep. And rounds two and three are going to be awful for you. Yeah.
2: You, you either finish Magny immediately or you start dominating him immediately.
1: Yeah. Oh. so yeah um yeah pretty simple pick for magny odds on the fight magny not that big a favorite opened at minus 149 is currently at minus 161 Rowe opened at plus 117 and is currently up at plus 144 the odds are getting longer so that's good
2: Always disrespecting Neil Magny.
1: Yeah, I mean, Neil Magny, he gets no respect. I I mean, he's only 35, too. Like, I know the man has put a thousand miles on himself, but most of them are not, like...
2: Most of that's, like, fight time. It's not like he's out there getting beaten up constantly and taking a ton of punishment. Yeah.
1: And yeah rose 32 so it's not like he's just some young bull
3: here he just hasn't had as many fights mm-hmm. yep yeah. you there hello yeah yeah sorry sorry i had to blow my nose real quick okay but now
1: everybody has to know that because
2: <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have anything more to say and i thought you dropped
1: off We'll sure. we'll get the producer to cut this probably <laughs> That's not gonna happen. No. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Magny, it's just uh, he. There's no reason he should be this kind of underdog. He got beaten his last time out by Gilbert Burns, who was always gonna be just of course truck Magny. Yeah. Got beat by Shavkat Rakhmonov. Always going to truck Magny. Yep. Always. He got beat by Michael Chiesa. Not always going to truck Neil Magny, but Magny actually discovered a limitation of his own there that he really walked into Kiesa's game over and over in a way that he did not have to. A very
2: rare thing where he sort of Magny to himself.
1: Yeah, where it was just <laughs> like, you actually should not spend a bunch of time in wrestling clinches with Michael Chiesa. You don't have to just yep. stay away from him and potshot him.
2: Yep, yeah, that's not how the game works.
1: Yeah, but most of the fighters, like yeah, that's not Philip Rowe. Philip Rowe is not going to do that.
2: Imagine gonna... if Philip Rowe comes out and just starts clinching with Magny in the first round, like I mean, so many other like so many before him.
1: He will, because he can't. He his sniping style it only works one shot at a time.
2: Yeah, he that's true. Will. He'll fall into him. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. So yep, I, I I can't not pick Neil here.
1: All right, on that note, another welterweight bout. Randy Brown, Wellington Terman. And um I mean I guess Randy Brown lost to Jack Della Maddalena. So he a gets, step back. Mm-hmm. gets a step back, and Wellington Terman's making his debut at 170 pounds,
2: mm.
1: so he gets a little test, but
2: it's more than a little test, I
1: think. Yeah, this doesn't feel like a necessary fight, and once this is a little bit to me like the Magny losing to Gilbert Burns and fighting Philip Rowe, right. It's like, Randy Brown lost to Jack Della Maddalena. That was that was a layup call for us. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, Jack Della Maddalena's gonna charge Randy Brown down. Randy always tries to figure and see his way through exchanges in ways mm-hmm. that are like sometimes cool but often deleterious. He tries mm-hmm. to create his way through exchanges. Like, oh, he he has a Lando Venata thing a little bit. Yeah, he's not. Just he's not risk physical tools in ways that Venata is not.
2: Yeah, and he also just has fun doing it. Like he is not a. Yeah. He does not have a risk-averse personality.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have a risk-averse personality. And Jack Madeleine is just gonna slip inside and start clubbing.
2: Yep. At some know? point, we were like, he's gonna wander into the fence, and Jack's gonna nuke him.
1: Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah, it was not. This was not a hard call. So, bouncing back from that to Wellington Term and like the point is Randy
2: Brown's going to win.
1: Yeah, he Although should. It, like he really should. I mean, there are all sorts of weird limitations to Randy Brown's game still. Yeah. Uh he has a bit of the sniper problem that Roe has. He's a better pocket boxer by far,
2: 100%.
1: But he does his his knack for creativity means that he will often throw one shot from range that puts him out of position to follow up in the pocket. Yeah. Where it's like, you didn't have to try an up elbow, but now that you have, you aren't actually in position to do anything here. Mm-hmm. That happens to him a lot. Uh, he's got he's, a little
2: Caseras in him. You know, he's a, he's yeah. be artistic.
1: He is. He's a great clinch fighter. Um, but And a, a really hard fighter to take down against the cage, but really mm-hmm. bad takedown defense in open space. Mm-hmm. And aggressive grappler, but not always a clean one. Um, although it has to be. Uh, yeah, well, he, he got, <laughs> got choked out. He's been choked out. I guess Jack Della Madalena club and subbed him, didn't he? Yeah,
2: but I mean, yeah it wasn't the Wait. grappling really few people actually do out grapple Randy Brown consistently yeah it's true hard to keep him hard to keep him down he's aggressive enough off of his back generally that he creates opportunities to escape
3: mhm
2: and uh, and yeah he's not altogether easy to take down one major hurdle is just getting into range to grab a hold yeah. of him
1: so there are all these gaps in Randy Brown's game really terrible kick defense too yeah but Wellington Terman, like, everything is just channeled through dogged toughness.
2: Yeah, and he, he's overcome some of the like crippling anxiety we saw in his earlier fights. Uh-huh. He looks a lot more resilient and determined to use his toughness. Yeah. But uh, this looks like a matchup where Randy Brown can afford to have pretty much all the fun he wants.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of... There's not enough danger immediately present in any part of Terman's game. Right. Because especially like Terman, he's not a bad positional grappler or attacking grappler, but all of his takedowns are based off of cage wrestling. Mm -hmm. He's not an open space wrestler at all. Mm -hmm. So the ability for him to get Randy Brown down where Randy Brown is at his his best counter-wrestling it doesn't seem that likely that yeah. that, and then it feeds into Randy's clinch game. Yeah, feeds into his clinch game, and otherwise out at out at, out at range. I mean, Terman's dropping down a division here, but he's got a six-inch reach disadvantage.
2: Yep, and and Brown is gonna feel fast as hell with that reach. Yeah, yeah I think there's just a lot of room for error uh, for Randy Brown, and that means a lot of room for fun. He'll probably, again, he'll probably try to do something stylish. Yeah, with uh, with that advantage, it should be Randy Brown's always interesting and fun to watch, but it's not doesn't feel like a matchup that needs to be
1: happening. No. Let's see, uh, odds on the bout. Brown is the favorite at mine. Opened at minus two seventy, currently minus two eighteen. Terman opened at plus two hundred three, currently down at plus one ninety two. Not really sure why those odds are getting closer. Um, this
2: field, Minty, I mean, I, the Minty must I, have recommended a bet. Who's Minty, Zane? She
1: she seems she's at least much more. Like, whenever there's a fight that's kind of close, she's much more of an over-under better. Where's Johnny? Where's Johnny the Greek? We We need Gianni. Come on. I can't believe, like, they still have him. They've still kept him in the UFC ecosystem with, like, a betting (laughs) podcast now. (laughs) But you can't even. It better be a video podcast. Yeah, I don't know.
2: You're not just gonna it, make me picture what his what sort of shapes his teeth are making when he's talking. I gotta see it. Right. I gotta see those teeth.
1: Oh man, at least at least Minty seems like she's a competent tout that gives decent tips. The tout industry still not one I like. No, it's scam
3: artists. But,
1: but <laughs> you know, she was out there like, oh yeah, take uh, what uh, what's his name? I can't remember the guy who fought Elir Latifi last. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, big Brazilian guy. You know, she she told said to take him. She picks some overs on things. Like a lot of her stuff seems to hit regularly. So at least she's giving good tips, but. But it is really sketch to be like, here's our UFC tout. It's more that
2: she's just not she's not Johnny. I mean,
1: yeah, it's true. You want something. I would say she's living in his shadow, but there's no shadow you can get off that glare.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's casting his shadow. Yeah, yeah. You know who's minty? Don't you just look at Johnny the Greek and know that, like, that man's breath is so powerfully minty it would make you fucking gag? (laughs) (laughs) He's eating 19 sticks of gum a day. Yeah. I don't know. know. It's it's so embarrassing already that –
1: You got to keep the smell of decay out of the rest (laughs) of the (laughs) –
2: yeah, it's just so dispiriting that all of these like major sports organizations now have like, yeah, like house betting advice that sports gambling like gambling is bad. <laughs> I'm not like a hyper conservative, but no, um, I don't know that like making it extremely accessible for everyone to gamble is a great idea.
1: Well, if you're doing that, if you're making it more accessible and you're trying to get more people gambling, you have to at the same time make sure fewer people win. Of course. Like you can't you can't make gambling you can't make gambling more profitable for people yeah, and yeah. get more people to do it at the same time. You yeah. can't as a business model. That would be stupid. There's a conflict of interest with the UFC
2: giving uh gambling advice, given that they're like sponsored by a gambling company and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I just feel like Johnny the Greek had the appropriate level of chintziness for
1: He absolutely fit. the. He fit exactly. For how sort of
2: scummy that arrangement truly is, right?
1: Yeah. And him losing every bet on a season of (laughs) Contender (laughs) Series. Literally every single bet
3: was absolutely
1: amazing.
2: (laughs) What what a time. I miss him. Yeah. (laughs) All right. He was so bad at (laughs) betting.
1: (laughs) <laughs> like really <Yeah>. amazingly miserable.
2: <laughs> Maybe that's why they demoted him. It's like you're making yes, it too obvious. Is. I'm you're sh- making it too obvious that we're just trying to get these Rubes money. You gotta let them win now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it is. Like they they had to. He he could he literally lost every bet for a whole sea for ten weeks and like three bets a show, like maybe even I think he bet every fight for 10 weeks five fights that's 50 bets he hit like two He's, that is so cool <laughs> it was just amazing it was unfathomable <laughs> like a coin would have been way better literally oh, just man. a Mean.
2: <laughs> All right. So, sorry. You just talked about odds and I just re- yeah. realized I kept reacting the last few weeks to being like who's minty
1: Yeah, she's the new Gianni and she is much 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 more capable to the detriment of our enjoyment. Yeah, truly. All right. Anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> Matej Rebeski, yeah. Against Loïc Rajabov.
2: Yeah, you're safe from uh, my uh, pronunciation corrections when it comes to Slavic names. By the way, I don't know. Even the basic Slavic names are tough for me. Polish, give me, give me a break. I don't well,
1: know. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I can pronounce it actually well, but, but I'm always fairly confident about it.
2: Yeah, incorrectly because uh, yeah. I remember, uh, you know, friend friend of the show, or at least friend of my show. I don't I don't know if he listens to the baby, but Adele Berkic on. Uh, yeah. Twitter once told me he's uh Bosnian, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and he once told me that he would like, yeah, showed his dad some like Polish or had his dad listen to some Polish and his dad, I, I think he said can pretty freely communicate with most other Slavic speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Polish was just completely baffling the to think
1: that the thing that's weird with Polish is that like these J's, uh, and like none, none of the letters make the sounds you're used to. Well, they
2: they're it's like, like it's like the Slavic version of like Irish. Like trying to read Irish phonetically, impossible. Yeah. The letters all make different sounds.
1: Well, the, the thing that I was gonna say is like Z's and J's and a couple other letters that I can't remember too. The thing, the way, to, the best way to pronounce Polish is when you see those letters, just pretend they don't exist. <laughs> like Mateusz. The Z there? It's just Mateus. It's just maybe. Is it? Yeah. It's don't bother with the Z. There's also all these nasal sounds. Every time yeah, I've heard, well, you, that, that's why I say I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm actually doing it all perfectly. Yeah. But like Joanna Janjic was a great example. It's just like we've all settled on that. But if you hear her
2: say her, I names, know it's, it's it's not the same.
1: It's not. It, yo, sounds, yo, like a, it yo, sounds like yo, yo, a drain. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that about my wife.
2: Um, <laughs> Your wife? Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's a fight. To, uh, some slobs. Some slobs are fighting. <laughs> Robesky.
1: tracksuits Rad- suits and uh, hot hat <laughs> <laughs> abound.
2: Rajabov. Um and functionally uh, pretty similar fighters
1: yeah really similar fighters
2: two two beefy wrestle boxers mm-hmm. like prepare to see some right hands traded folks yeah. these are two guys who will just shuffle into range load up hey guess what's coming right hand and just sling it at at somebody mm-hmm and um yeah, it's like that in the takedown switch up. They're very classic res- wrestle boxers.
1: They really are. These are two especially two with the the fact that if forced to box for any prolonged amount of time, they also immediately start to gas. Yeah. So that like you and, really yeah. have one round of wrestle boxing and two rounds of wrestling. Mhm. It's it's very old school. You know,
2: and I am leaning Rajabov because I think there's a little more depth to his wrestling, especially to his takedown gaming.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I am kind of leaning Mm Rubeski because I think he is a better boxer.
2: Yeah, he's, he's definitely got a little duplessy in him. Like, the tiredness doesn't really affect his effectiveness uh, on the
1: feet as much. can throw a left hand in there sometimes. That's
2: true. It's all one and done, and mostly hooks, but they come off both hands. Yeah. Um, and he hits the body a little bit, too.
1: Yeah. Rad is really just That's timing true. the right hand, and it, the moment that that timing breaks down, he starts getting tagged. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think what gave me pause is seeing Rubezki's, uh debut against, what was the guy's name, Nick Fiore or Fioria or something?
1: Fiore, yeah.
2: Um, and yeah, like he gassed, and he was kind of struggling. Oh yeah, no. With Fiore, and Fiore is not a very good fighter.
1: No, he's not. Like he's
2: not as good as, uh by, by a long shot, as uh, Rajabov's UFC debut opponent, uh, Esteban Ribovich. Yeah. Uh, a much more well-rounded fighter, a much better wrestler, and I was impressed by the fact that Rajabov had to work way harder to get uh, Ribovich down, mm-hmm. and did it. I mean, there's a lot of successive layers to each takedown attempt he makes. Rabezky is much more of just having to power people off their feet. Yeah. But now that I, now that you mention it, and I and I consider that likely what happens is that both of them just sort of bounce off of each other in the wrestling phase. Yeah. <clears> Robeski's <throat> a little more... creative. Uh-huh. As a striker.
3: I mean, it's and a little bar. Bulli-
1: he's more bullish. Yeah, yeah. About, like, it doesn't have to be working for him to do it well.
2: That's right. He's got, like, some Frankie signs in him. He's... Yeah. He will really just tank damage and just keep slinging the hardest right hands and left hands to your point.
1: Whereas above when it starts going south, you That's can true. see his confidence kind of crumble and he really has to find escape valves.
2: Yeah. And if the wrestling isn't there, okay. You, you got me. I'm I'm leaning for uh for the pole I'm leaning for robeski
1: Yeah. All right. So yeah I think I'm gonna go with robeski too, like I say. Just you've broke kinda of broken it down for me at this yeah. point. Just, I think they're gonna end up stuck on their feet against each other. And uh Rajabov can he can land hard and he's not you know he, he's not without power, but if he has to stay standing, he uh he's just so limited. Mm-hmm. And Rubesky is not Uh, he's, he's not like a great, you know, a much better bag of tricks, but he really, you know, like the fight he had against Fiore, part of the the reason he gassed is he came out and he threw (laughs) immediately. What was it like?
2: He was going insane.
1: He was going insane.
2: Lots of takedowns and lots of punches, like everything high intensity.
1: He threw a hundred strikes in the first round of that fight. Mm hmm. 107 in fact 101 significant strikes yeah and rajabov in his whole fight with uh through 85 so it's just one of those of like confidence of if these two aren't going to get each other down who do i trust to go out there and be able to like Create a continuous exchanges. I just trust Rubovich or Rebesky yeah. more, rather. Yeah. All right. Odds on the bout. Uh, Rubesky opened at minus 118, is currently at minus 151. Rajabov uh, opened at plus 107, is currently at plus 136. That's reasonable. These should stay close, honestly. Yeah, they are they are very similar fighters. Very similar fighters. Both men have power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think have either of them ever actually been uh, knocked out before? herbesky he has, and Radjabov has...
2: Rajabov has not.
1: not so, But Rajabov has also lost more fights to fighters that he couldn't out-wrestle.
2: Yeah, they're basically all people with stout takedown defense. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so, it is kind of just... It should be very close. Agreed. Alright. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Tabitha Ricci, Jillian Robertson. And, um, yeah, I guess the question here really is just how much do we believe in Robertson's size as a, the, as a major new factor for her Mm. in the strawweight division? Because Tabitha Ricci is tiny, but there's nothing physically or technically that Robertson does that Tabitha Ricci seems like she shouldn't be able to handle.
3: Mhm. Um. Think yeah, personally- I just, I
2: just think she's gonna run into matchups very soon where her awkwardness comes out more than her whatever strength advantage she may have gained.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, I just don't think that. Um. I don't think giving up top control to Richie early in this fight is going to result in Robertson being able to sweep or out grapple her easily on the Mm -hmm. mat. Mm -hmm. Richie is, she's strong, even if she's not big and she's an excellent jujitsu artist. She's an excellent grappler Mm -hmm. and she's an excellent top grappler too. Like that's what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. She wants to be on top of you, bullying you. Um, more than that though, like I really, you know, felt like in Ricci's last fight against Jessica Panay, she looked a lot more consistent about knowing how to handle herself striking. Mm-hmm. And just like, a,
2: a fairly blank slate to, to try that against, but
1: Yeah. But she's got another one here, you know?
2: It's true. Yeah, on
1: the feet. Absolutely true. So yeah, I I gotta pick Ricci just to be able to dart in and land big right hands and hit double legs and maybe not spend time with, with Robertson on the ground, maybe just back off and reset, but to be able to do that kind of thing over and over again.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think I'm with you. I just think Julian Robertson's win condition is very narrow. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, she has to be able to out-wrestle somebody because she has to get on top of them. And she is a savage in that position. I mean, she is is an an excellent submission finisher. She has excellent ground and pound. Um, But that is really the only phase of the fight where she ever looks good or comfortable. Uh And uh, Ricci is not only difficult to get into those positions but is increasingly much, much more rapidly than Robertson had when it became clear she needed to make some changes is already looking more comfortable everywhere else too. I
1: mean, Richie likes to strike. She likes to throw hands. Yeah. Robertson. Yeah.
2: Robertson had to learn how to do it. Yeah. Richie seems to actually kind of have fun with it. And, and I think she is going to look significantly faster than Robertson here as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it it has to kind of be said that while she ended up dominating Pierre Rodriguez on the way to the finish like the first things that happened in that fight against Pierre Rodriguez were Pierre Rodriguez just kind of dialed her up. Yep. And then went to the mat with her and that really gained Robertson the confidence to start figuring out how to take Rodriguez down.
3: Yeah.
2: This might even be a good, a good uh, opportunity for Richie to try having a classic BJJ kickboxing match.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I were her, that's what I would be. Just don't grapple thinking.
2: at all. Just yeah. here's a chance to work on your striking. You're here against somebody who's going to be more cumbersome and slower. albeit bigger, but just hates it. Yep. You know, try it out.
1: All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Jalgas Jumagulov Jari Zimblet against Joshua Van.
2: He's back again. When was that last fight booked? Last week, week before?
1: Yeah, week before last. last week, it might have been either yeah. way. The infinite disappointment of Jalgas Zhumagulov continues. Yeah. Um
2: right. Wow, why have I never really taken notice? Has his topology photo changed?
1: I think so, yeah.
2: He didn't used to have that glorious bowl cut on display like that, I don't think.
1: No, he's, he's, he's modified it and grown it out more and more. I think yeah. he, he really, he, he at least make, he has made the joke that he just, like, decided to take it from Patty Pimblett, Looking like a Kazakh beetle over here. Right. Um, it works for him. I don't yeah, know.
2: I kind of like it. <laughs> Seeing a guy with, like, an incredibly square jaw
1: yeah broad
2: masculine face with this goofy haircut he's kind of pulling it off
1: (laughs) yeah he's got the hair for like he's got that like really fine thick hair like a lot of fine hair
2: it looks like it's it looks like it's like tactical hair it's like yeah it's like there to like add extra padding underneath his uh his step nomad helmet yeah he, he uses when he's raiding um yeah, I, uh, I I do like the looks of Joshua Van as a guy who's clearly just being brought in. Uh-huh. Let's sign flyweights. Uh, let's sign cheap fighters. Jago Magulov wants to fight. Uh, throw him back in there. Joshua Van is super raw. Uh-huh. He is 21 years old. He has only had eight fights as a pro. I think he is working from a good foundation. Right? Like, He's pretty comfortable moving laterally. He um once again, a, a sort of non-flyweight flyweight, because he likes when he has his druthers, he likes to fight at a pretty slow pace and counter people. Um he likes to kind of poke and prod. He's and and set up nice single accurate shots. But um he's just super raw. Like uh-huh even when he's having exactly the fight he wants, he'll just get surprised. Like he'll step in and body jab somebody and not get back out of range quickly enough, or he doesn't take an angle when he's getting back out and just gets tagged and gets stung. Um, or somebody just crashes into him and blows him off his feet. Um, he is just, he, he looks like an inexperienced striker, which means a lot of one and done a lot of watching his work you know, yeah. a lot of sort of expecting that uh, being too pleased with being able to land a shot on somebody and not expecting that, you know, they might be hitting you at the same time or immediately after. So I obviously I have to pick Jumagulov as the far more experienced yeah. fighter who has proven in his recent fights to be way more willing than ever before to be crazy and aggressive. Uh, I just think he's and also a great athlete. I think he's going to be too much for a 21-year-old uh, baby of a fighter to, to handle.
1: Yeah, I mean, this has just got to be kind of more of the the same read we had with the Bunez fight. Sure, yeah, yeah. Except that Bunez is a little more inherently flawed, but also a little more technically complete. Mm-hmm. You know, Bunez had a little more form, a little more creativity, a little more flow to his game. Mm-hmm. While also being maybe uh, less strong, more ingrained, slow-paced Van seems like the kind of fighter who could be learning to pick things up. He seems like he's confident, but he's not necessarily so experienced that he knows what to do with that confidence yet. Mm-hmm. Whereas bunez You know, seem more like a fighter who has had to learn how to pace out a fight to be the kind of fight he wants Mm -hmm. so that he doesn't get trapped into something more difficult. But it's the same kind of problem where you're looking at a, a flyweight who is fairly low output and competent and capable of surviving a fight in a lot of places. Mm hmm but not necessarily confident and capable of taking a fight to a lot of places so you know if joshua van is going to go out there and he's going to have a kickboxing match with jumagulov is he going to match jumagulov for pace right if jumagulov takes him down is he going to be able to meaningfully respond to that in a way that brings him back into the round yeah. and doesn't just survive a bad spot that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, it just seems like a pretty obviously overwhelming experience gulf. Yeah, between these two.
1: Now, you know, it must we same same thing is still there that we also said for the Bunez fight, which is the the slight fear of where the hell Zhumagulov's head is at.
2: Yeah.
1: Cuz I uh, it doesn't seem like he wants to be in the UFC. It may be that he doesn't want to be fighting MMA at all anymore, although that seems less the case, like, likely the case. Yeah. But either way, it does not necessarily seem like he's in a happy place in his career, and that does seem like it has intruded in his recent fights. Yeah, a bit. But, but uh, against a very a much higher level of competition.
2: Mm-hmm. And even looking distracted, you know, by and frustrated in those fights, we're still seeing an overall yeah, much more effective better. Shaga Shumagula than than the one that debuted in the UFC. Yeah.
1: yeah. He's been getting better. His mentality about the whole thing has just been getting worse. Right. So, yeah, there is that caveat. But see, what do you do with that kind of X factor in this kind of fight with somebody who is... Seven and one, and you know their last fight they won was against somebody named Cleveland McLean. Awesome, and you know they're they're just coming off of the the regionals, Mm -hmm. and you know it's they're not he's not a bad band's a good fighter he's a good prospect, but this is a huge step up
2: another guy named americo garcia and and mclean where where is he finding uh 1930s boxers to fight
1: and paris moran oh man these are
2: really some like old school boxer names yeah yeah where's 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 gunboat davis (laughs) (laughs) where's one if not the cuban uh cuban kid or chocolate kid there's Indeed. been, like, nine of those. Anyway, yeah. Hey. Novice versus seasoned pro. Seasoned pro who keeps getting better. Easy yep. pick.
1: Yeah. Odds on the bout. Gulov is the favorite. Opened at minus 176. Currently down at minus 192. Van opened at plus 157. Currently up at plus 171. That brings us to a wanger of a Trevor, banger Trevor, of a heavyweight lightweight fight
2: Trevor Trevor Trevor, Trevor, Trevor Peak. the crowd is
1: going wild Chepe Mariscal the crowd the people
2: love Trevor Peak
1: they do they we all love our uh... <laughs> oh damn it why is it every time I want to make this joke I forget his name Oh, uh,
2: good joke. It's good joke. So far, I'm laughing.
1: Yeah, I'm no, you're it. you're ha- we all love our hillbilly Colin Farrell.
2: <laughs> <There you laughs>
1: See, and he <laughs> laughed. I got <laughs> that. I okay.
3: it. I liked it. I liked it.
2: Well, I love the name of Trevor Peaks gym, by the way. This is a slightly more sophisticated version of a of one of the most tired uh, motifs for MMA fighters. A go combatives. Mm hmm. But Goge is the Spartan training regimen. Oh,
1: yeah. But
2: it's not just called Spartan combatives. They kind of – here's like a military history buff.
1: Somebody who read a book thought of this one.
2: <laughs> well, or watched History Channel. But yeah. uh yeah, that's a little a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. So that's why Trevor Peak fights with the fury that he does. He had to, like, uh, raise a puppy and then strangle it with his own hands before that's he right. was allowed to enter the gym.
1: Uh, I like, though, that we know now that his coaches are like all just shaking their heads at him when they watch. (laughs) That is very funny. Yeah, that we were just cracking
2: up at his debut because he is a hysterically messy fighter. Um, Just comically. Just the punches make no sense. Just like hammer fisting the top of his opponent's head, falling into them. Ludicrous form. I have never seen crazier punching. And uh, yeah, one of his uh, gym mates was like, I just want to say our coaches are pretty good. <laughs> and Trevor is like, he doesn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody from his gym is like, no, it's not us. It, Trevor can't learn.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but boy, is it beautiful. It really is. Completely absurd, Viter. Let's see, is this me or you? I forgot. It's that. it's you. It's you. Okay, it's me. For like, you get to talk about Alabama's Dricus Duplessis,
1: that's right?
2: <laughs> oh, Dricus do <du> sweet tea. <laughs> I don't know. I'm working on it.
1: Yeah, there's something in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I mean, the thing is, is that. Credit to the UFC, uh, what fight was this going to be? This was going to be Trevor Peak versus Victor Martinez. Okay. Who is also not very good. Mm-hmm. But credit to the UFC, they really went out and found just the right guy to fight Trevor Peake. Because... Mariscal has, like, he has more technique. I mean, everybody does. But he is always on the borderline of throwing all of it in the trash (laughs) to just go bananas and swang with somebody and have it be the sloppiest fight you've ever seen in your life.
2: Yeah, he's in that day with Onama territory. Yes. Could be better. Doesn't care to be.
1: Yep. And um, I think that's actually kind of a bigger problem than the one Trevor Peak has. Frankly,
2: is it a what? What is Trevor Peak's problem? Is it a gland issue or?
1: Well, I mean, Trevor Peak's problem, as you noted, is he can't learn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like he don't learn no good. He don't learn no good.
1: Um, Unless
2: it's from the Bible,
1: <laughs> but he is going to make whatever is. <laughs> oh man, no.
3: <laughs>
1: you know those <laughs> what? You know those videos out there of like rescue dogs that have like a neur- neurological condition. <laughs> they... Uh-huh. They can't run in a straight line, yeah. But you still see them happy and playing and living a full life. Sure, that's kind of like Trevor Peak in fighting. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, cause you put Trevor Peake at at work at like a Kinko's. <laughs> he's he's like breaking all the copiers. Yeah. He's using, like, the guillotine thing they used to cut big stacks of paper. He's snapping that handle off first yeah. go.
1: But my, my point <laughs> is that, like, <laughs> he's still creating the best fight he knows how to create. <laughs> right? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're following the rescue dog thing here, like. It's it's still doing its best. he's still doing his best. At least he's having fun. <laughs> and having fun. And he's he's going out there like it's it's what it, it is it is his fight that he can offer. It's awesome. It is awesome. No, <laughs> like if if it sounds like I'm being cruel to him, because I am. You are. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> we both are. <laughs> we both are. Uh there is a, an underlying love to all of this That I hope this man fights as long I hope I get to watch this man fight as long as possible
2: Yeah, it's the, the love, as you just said the, the kind of love you have for a really fucked up dog <laughs> It's such an amazingly condescending comparison to make <laughs> You know, Trevor Peak is like one of those really like stupid broken dogs, you know, like
1: uh but <laughs> the nice ones. <laughs> Look, it sounds bad when you say it like that. <laughs> I was losing it. <laughs> when you read this it. is
2: also why you thought of it yourself and were like, It no I shouldn't say that. You shouldn't have, but I'm glad no, you did. I shouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> if but, you, let's put it this way if you get like an angry dm from trevor Peek as you have from other fighters you deserve it
1: yes yes um absolutely you my point is have though, one of those
2: like, one of those punches he throws it looks like he's swinging a frying pan around <laughs> you, just, you just you deserve to get clobbered by one of those bad boys
1: i mean the point is though that like it's very much clearly like the natural extension of what he wants to do.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Sure. The man he's, is
2: out he's, there. He's loving it. He's loving he it. He's loving it. He's
1: flowing. He is having his fight. He
2: is not a panic brawler. He he loves to just throw hands. Yeah. Uh, at everything.
1: Marskall, it's just like there's a a flux state between mess and Pseudo mess. Yeah, and I don't think that that serves him better. You know, not yeah, but... knowing or not being able to have the kind of fight you want is uh, against somebody like Trevor Peak. That just gives me more pause about your ability to win.
2: Sure, uh, having you know said all that, and I agree. I mean that makes sense. Like. Uh... I'm expecting the wheels to fall off Trevor Peak at any moment.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. His and fighting
2: it, 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 style makes no sense. It's he, it, he's a bad fighter. He's a very bad fighter. The fact and that he loves it is what makes it effective because he's confident and he just keeps going. But like, he it's bad. It's just, this is this is so bad. bad. <laughs> it's the worst technique I have ever seen in the UFC with more confidence than I've seen from
1: much better technicians. Yeah. Um, I just don't think Mariscal is technical enough that to to cross the confidence. Gap. It's gonna get
2: crazy. I mean, it's gonna get. Yeah. There's no other way against Trevor Peak, and it's gonna take a, an actual consistent technician, um, or you know somebody who just hits him first and knocks you him out.
1: Mariscal could absolutely. I, yeah. I just don't yeah. look at Skull's record, and you know, second round ground and pound finish, second round head kick ground and pound finish. Yeah. Second round punches. You know, first round of punches, sure, okay, and it happens. First round triangle choke, split decision, fourth round punch. Like he's not a power shot artist. He is a messy scrapper. Yeah. His his aggression can't finish people, he can overwhelm people because he goes nuts when he goes nuts. I don't think you have to be even that powerful a puncher.
2: Like, obviously, Trevor Peak has some chin because everything he gets hit by is unbelievably clean because he just, uh-huh. just doesn't care that it's coming back at him. Yes. Um, you, you catch this dude. Somebody's going to knock him out. They
1: don't even have to be a power yeah. puncher. It's true. It's true.
2: But um, I'm going to keep picking Trevor Peak until and probably after he loses because I just love it. There is nothing – I was so – everyone was. Everyone who watched it was so delighted by that performance. It was horrible and, and so beautiful and insane. It was an absolute mess. It does not deserve to be in the UFC, but what is more deserving to be in the UFC than a guy that committed to being that crazy and reckless?
1: Yeah, and I mean the thing is that like – the other thing, beyond the crazy confidence and beyond the uh, insanity that is buttressing Trevor Peake, I do honestly think that this dude is actually probably, there's probably an actually really great athlete underneath all of that. It must be. A, right. It is, yeah.
2: It wouldn't work at all otherwise without some, some respectable physicality in there.
1: Like, I think he's actually really. Quite insanely fast and powerful. Yeah, it's just tied to, uh, you know, uh, a, a brain that is not functioning the way any normal person who becomes yeah. a professional fighter. Like this is not even. This man had amateur bouts. Yeah, no, he's he's he just hasn't been learning this whole time. He just he has he started in 2013. He took his first amateur bout, and he had several. He has had a whole bunch of time to figure this out and it's just not happening.
3: Mhm.
1: He is, he is 10 years into his MMA journey. <laughs> not pro, but overall, yeah. So I
2: hope he never tries to get good. Yeah, I I kind of do too. Some 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 things are too precious to be
1: I I hope personally that uh, how old is he? He's 28. I hope personally that in like five, six, may- maybe, maybe seven or eight years, maybe in his late 30s even, he's just suddenly like really, actually quite good because he spent so much time in the cage getting comfortable.
2: No, I, I don't hope that at it all. It
1: never happened, but.
2: I don't hope that I don't even hope for it. I just, I I don't want, I don't change a thing.
1: Don't change a thing. All right. Fair enough.
2: Um, yeah. And I'm just going to keep picking him. I just love him. Yeah. He is a Christian berserker <laughs> in the truest sense. He is absolutely nuts. Yeah. And, and bad. And that's why he's good.
1: Yeah. Uh, He's at dead even odds with Jose Mariscal, or with uh, Chepe Mariscal. Uh, Why not? He opened at minus 176, is currently at minus 109. Mariscal opened at plus 157, is currently at minus
3: 102.
1: Sure. Damn it. I still feel wrong.
2: Yeah, no, you're a bad man. but. (laughs) That's that. The, the, it's this complexity of feelings. It's like it was like me trying to describe why I loved uh, the the powerful emotions that arose when I saw Pena Nunez. Yeah. Like, how can I describe how bad and how good this was at the same time? If yeah. Two are in, are interlinked, and like we would not love Trevor Peake's fighting style if we weren't a, simultaneously harshly judging it as being terrible. If you can't. Yeah reckon with how bad it is you can't appreciate it the way we're appreciating it no. everyone's gonna have fun watching him fight but there's a special kind of like intellectually i know that this is dog shit but it, yes at the same time it's because of that it's so awesome
1: yep. yeah
2: yeah uh, a, a perfect fighter trevor Peek.
1: all right that brings us to featherweight jamal emmers jack jenkins and uh This should be a hell of a lot of fun. Absolutely. Jenkins really, really showed up. Yeah. uh, I I really thought his uh, low kicking thing was kind of a gimmick. Not that like he wasn't a good kicker or, you know, had. Obviously, he was a
2: hard kicker.
1: Yeah, a hard kicker. But just, yeah, I I was like, okay, he's not going to be Edson Barboza out there. Whatever. Like, it's a thing he likes to do a lot of fighters have things they like to do that they don't get to do in the UFC. Mm-hmm. It really... The way he chains his low kicks off of combinations and hides them mm-hmm. and inserts them into his striking, mm, it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, and and also just his, his, his boxing was a little better. Yeah. Significantly better. better than I gave it credit for. Um, yep. th- there's still like a sort of awkwardness like Jenkins is one of these guys on defense he mostly backs up in straight lines Mm -hmm. and has to like parry or block everything yeah um but for that he's got pretty good eyes like he he because he knows he's got to get his hand in the way to not get hit he's pretty attentive to what's coming at him um doesn't tend to like duck or shy away he doesn't get surprised a lot and then, yeah, he was just really diligently finding different ways of sinking those crushing low kicks in there and also the body punching. Mm-hmm. Um, his body punching was excellent, his combination punching in general, but every little opportunity he saw. It, these aren't even just the most typical low kick opportunities that he was looking for. It wasn't just like, oh, Shana's jabs and yeah. I'm going to like pull back or parry the jab and then counter with the low kick. It was like he would get Shaynus to kind of cover up and duck with the hands and be really close to him, but see, oop, he's he can't see a kick coming right now. Yeah. And just chop his leg out from under him, low kicking him from clinches, low kicking him off the punches, and then using the threat of the low kick to to set up the hands and uh, uh-huh. doing the whole thing backwards as well. Um, yeah, like a totally offensively dependent, pretty much. Yep. But a pretty sharp and um I need a different term for creative because creative in MMA implies that you do a bunch of stupid shit. <laughs> I need a better term for when somebody is creative within the confines of a few basic effective techniques.
1: Um, right
2: but that that's 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 what uh, yeah. what Jenkins demonstrated there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's one, twos, threes, a couple uppercuts, couple variations of those shots to the body. And brutally hard low kicks and just finding a bunch of different ways to kind of use one one of these things to uh to set up the other. And um <clears throat> I don't know, man. We like Jamal
1: Emmers. Yeah, we've we've been a fan for quite a while.
2: I I still find it kind of hard to wrap my head around Jamal Emers. Yeah. He's um what I saw in his last fight is that he uh, discovered, and credit to him, he diligently went for this once he figured it out. He he discovered that he was kind of uncomfortable everywhere at range, but once he got a hand on Ashkabov, uh, Askabov, and found that he could like dirty box him up, he kept going back to it. He kept finding ways to crash into him and create clinches and to beat him up, both right hands to the body and uppercuts to the face. Those were really effective for him. And that kind of uh, he just strikes me as one of these fighters who needs that like tactile sense of where exactly his opponent is. And then everything else sort of started to come together around that Mm -hmm. early on. He was looking hella awkward.
1: Yeah, Um, he's he's also one of those fighters who the thing he wants to do is not the thing that he's he was good at. Yeah. And instead of trying to marry that and turn, you know, instead of of leaning on the things that he was already good at. And being like, OK, well, I'll just have that be my style anyway, and try and do the things I want to do in the in in, in between.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He just leaned on the thing he wanted to do for long enough until he became actually pretty decent at it, which is that he started out as a pretty decent wrestler. But all he's ever wanted to do, clearly, in MMA, is box. Yeah, and he's just been leaning on his boxing until he's gotten pretty competent at it.
2: Yeah, but it's still kind of like the last fight. The boxing didn't really look very good until after a sort of wrestling version of boxing big, was effective. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, he, he kind of has to stumble into the striking success. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he went into it ass backwards. Um, I don't know, man. I I kind of feel like he's gonna struggle with Jack Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it has been tested very much, but I do look at Jamal Emers at range, and I think this dude is ripe for a low kick.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think Askabov actually landed a couple really hard on him early That's in true. that fight, and Emers
2: landed some hard ones in return.
1: He did, but he but, doesn't um, have any way to really. Block or protect his leg. No. And it's really, I think it was a lot of for Bob, just going away from, you know, not being able to return to any of the tools that were finding him any success. Askebob is just sort of a yeah. messy catch whatever, you know, ideas in my head right now and try it out kind of fighter. And Jenkins is very decidedly not. Yeah. And the 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 other problem for Emmer's then at that point becomes that he is not a very big striker. Yeah. You know, he his the boxing game he's developed it's very Bobby Green.
3: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's very dart and sl- be ready to slide away at any moment, try to fit fast counter combos in around your opponent's offense. Or to, you know, drop into the pocket and hit a one-two and slide away. Don't sit down. Don't be too heavy in the pocket where you're going to get hit in return. Mm -hmm. And that could make, you know, it it could give Jackson some, or some, some, uh, is it Jenkins? There we go. Jack Jenkins. Could give Jenkins some problems if Jenkins just can't track Emmer's down consistently. But I think if Jenkins just looks to hammer that leg over and over and over again, he's going to keep finding it probably dragging behind Emmer's upper body movement.
2: There's also the fact that Jenkins is a pretty um, intuitive scrambler. hmm and the thing that we pegged as his actual sort of the thing he was naturally good at not the thing he most wants to do but could very well end up happening at some point is that if he does ever end up on top i don't know how comfortable emmers is in his back he rarely ends up there yeah but uh but jenkins is pretty effective um pretty effective fighting for position and doing damage on the ground as well yeah
1: he's a great pounder. yeah emmers is it takes a pretty good wrestler to keep him down. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's a good wrestler, but he has also been finished before by guys like Tiago Moises and Julian Arosa. Mm-hmm. So I think that he's going to I think he's going to find, you know, I think for Emer is the smart thing to do here would be to lean on his wrestling skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And just try to really put Jenkins through the paces, see yeah. what his cardio is like. But I think more likely Emmer's is going to do what he wants to do, which is to try to have a boxing match with Jenkins.
2: Yeah, and overall Jenkins' game is just more about racking up damage that that will tell later in the
1: fight. Exactly. Uh, odds on the bout, Emmer's opened at minus one seventy one. Is currently a minus one ninety five. Jenkins. Opened at plus 152, currently at plus 173. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout. Tetsuro Taira, Clayton Rodriguez. And
2: really should not be so far down on the card.
1: It should not at all be far down on the card. It should be up on the main card. Both yeah. of these are top, top tier flyweight prospects. Um, I do kind of love matchmaking like th- I wish they wouldn't hide it. I wish they wouldn't stuff it down.
2: No, I love prospect on prospect fights. Yeah. I f- I feel like I'd I'd like to see more of them. I mean
1: Yeah. I want to see fight, fighting so,
2: your peers is a great way to develop.
1: Yeah. And this is the kind of fight where you hope that you, you get to see it again like five years from now. Right, right. You know?
2: Yeah. Do what do what Saruki and Makachev. Do that more often.
1: Yep. Um it's also it's a it's a hard fight to call because mm-hmm. both of these guys have the same problem, which is that they're both just a little too slow paced for the modern flyweight meta. Well, are they? Or they they used to be. <laughs> this is the thing. All the flyweights are slow paced now. Like
2: That's way true. We we had um Steve Urseg. Yeah. Really, really impressed. And he's, like, a a pretty scrambly, fast-paced flyweight. But most of the guys they've been signing, it just seems like a lot of flyweights are kind of anti-flyweights now.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's also just that as they're signing more people, they're catching more of the not-very-good athletes who fight down at that division. True. And those guys can't keep an elite pace. I think we're still, like, the fighters that float to the top of flyweights are high-octane pace fighters. And Davison and
2: I mean, we, was, we, you know, yeah, Figueroa. we got Amir al in there now. Yeah. To the top, and he's pretty low output, pretty oh, but steady. But he's
1: also, his rise to the top has been like one sort of, <laughs> you know, questionable decision, and that's it, really.
2: Yeah, and then it's against a bunch of these other, like, weird anti-flyweights.
1: Yeah. But in general, and, you know, so for Clayton Rodriguez, I think it's for Clayton Rodriguez. It's been more it's much more imperative for him that he figure pace out than Tyra. Yeah, because Tyra seems to be just sort of a. He might never pan out to anything, but he's much more of a he's the kind of fighter that gets. MMA fighters excited mm-hmm. and gets. uh. Technique guys really excited mm-hmm. because they see him, and they're like, oh, wow, he's just got such a great natural feel for the game. You know, you can see like he's got all these techniques he can use, he can grab them at any time, is just a great sort of natural ability to take an opening and turn it into a sudden huge momentum shift.
3: Mhm,
1: that Tyra has, but it's also kind of those are also the kinds of fighters that like uh, oh, who was Mizuki like Mizuki, in a way, where like people get really into talking them up for a long time, or jillian Robertson, sure, people get really into talking them up without realizing the other huge problems in their meta that they're missing. I don't know if Tyra's is going to, you know, if that's going to be as big a problem for him being a flyweight who seems like also a good athlete, which is one of the big problems for Robertson and in a way over time is just that like, they aren't that great athletes or, and for Robertson, deeply uncomfortable striker. Mm-hmm Tyra does seem to be a great athlete, but the meta of like being a so you know pick out the perfect strike, sort of floating around, uh, flyweight striker seems very difficult to translate as he gets further up the division.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Tyra's other saving grace is that he is he's an incredibly good grappler. Um, yeah. And this is sort of the decision I think he, he tries to force on people, right? It's yeah. like, I'm going to pot shot you and annoy you from range and be very negative And you are going to have to make something happen. And frequently that is how Tyra gets to his good positions on the ground.
3: Yeah.
2: Is people will crash into him and he will take their backs. It takes them down. And he's a great back take artist. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, it, it does. It's we, we've we been waiting for a while. I don't think I've been picking against him, but we have basically been keeping an eye out for a while with good reason on when is that pace fighter going to show up? That just doesn't give Tyra any room to breathe. And yeah. he has no, idea. turns out he has no idea how to handle it. It's going to happen. Eventually yep. could be Cletson Rodriguez
1: could be Cletson. I'm I, am really heartened by his fight against Shannon Ross.
2: Mm-hmm. Give me a really of clear. Huh? Gimme fight, of
1: course. Yeah, gimme fight, but nonetheless heartened by it because it was clear coming up for Clayton Rodriguez that he did not fight at a flyweight pace. Yeah. He was a very one strike at a time, make them big, make them wild, make them damaging. But, you know, it was all about for him scaring people with the potential of the violence he could bring. Yeah rather than constructing consistent technique. And Vergara went out there and almost lost that fight anyway, because Klitson is an insanely good athlete. But took him down a lot, pressured him a lot, put him on the back foot a lot, just gave him all kinds of trouble that somebody can give that kind of fighter if they just stay in their face and are tough.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: So I am heartened not necessarily that he showed up with a bunch of new technique against Shannon Ross. He's still like the first thing he tried is like a wheel kick, <laughs> but, uh, he showed up. Ang- it seemed like he showed up angry. He did for sure. And that he needed to prove that he wasn't a walkover and that he wasn't just going to be pushed into the background. and, that's that's what he needs. You know, if he's going to become a more aggressive, higher output fighter, there needs to be a fire there. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of a uh, Henry Cejudo situation where what he needed was. A challenge. He needed somebody to go out there and like. Remind him that he can't just walk through everyone.
2: Yeah. And sort of an embarrassing loss for him. I mean. Yeah. Clinton is a much more talented fighter than CJ Vergara. Yep. Um, losing a fight like that probably stung. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah. if what he learned is that sometimes I got to be crazy aggressive, you know, he'll probably it'll he'll probably get a chance to do that. Yeah. I don't know that it will win the fight. <laughs> Everyone gets a chance to do that against Tyra. I yep. mean, even down to Tyra's last opponent. Um. Well, I keep wanting to say Kevin Aguilar.
1: No, uh Jesus Aguilar.
2: Jesus Aguilar. Um just like came out and I think low kicked him, knocked him off yeah. his feet, and then ran at him and, and tried to flurry on him against the cage and oh level change and you're down. Yep. And yeah, Tyra, like, you know, it was a rushed shot. He shot into a guillotine, but he immediately passed to the right side and just waited it out. And as soon as that was gone, swiftly just cutting through guard, getting to uh, getting to top position and only allowing Aguilar to move at all when he knew he had a triangle waiting for yeah. him. So I, I just don't think uh, Clayton has faced somebody with Tyra's level of grappling skill. Yeah. And I don't think he's controlled enough with this newfound aggression. If it even appears again in this fight to not just get taken down. I mean, he struggles He struggled with Vergara's wrestling.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, and and the, his reliance on big wild strikes whenever he feels like he can press something, it's always going to put him in a position where a takedown is possible. Exactly. And uh, the big problem, you know, he didn't quit against Vergara, and I, he, like, I, I would say he he even came back really well late in that fight, um, which is a great sign for him, but. He also did get clearly insanely discouraged. Yeah. In that fight? Yeah. By the lack of success he had. And if he gets discouraged against against Tyra, yeah. That seems like the kind of thing that will lead to him getting submitted. Mhm. That'll lead to him making some big mistake that he can't easily recover from. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to pick Tyra as well, but it's a cool it's a cool prospect versus prospect fight. And I'm very interested to see what improving Clayton Rodriguez can do, because I, I think he's clearly a top five level athlete that just needs time and skill building and aggression, you mm-hmm. know? Uh Tyra opened at minus three twenty six, currently minus two forty. Rodriguez opened at plus two seventy four, is currently down at plus two ten. Yeah, a little light, a little closer in the odds. That's that's good. Rodriguez has the kind of he has the kind of ability that he could spinning back kick Tyra in the gut and like you know, hit him in the liver and knock him out, basically. Mm-hmm. The talent is there. Alright, that pr- brings us to a middleweight bout, final fight of the card, Cody Brundage, Cedricius Dumas, and um, hmm. this feels like a pretty easy pick to me.
3: Yeah, lay yeah. it on
2: me, because I, I, this is one of those that my brain just kind of bounces off of until <laughs> I get something to grab onto.
1: Yeah, I think, honestly, just what we've seen out of Brundage in the UFC so far is a very, very limited wrestle-boxing game. Very limited, yeah. That he applies pretty intelligently. Mm Mm-hmm. He shows up with a game plan for how to bring his game to people, and he follows it, and... Sometimes he gets lost in deeper technical waters than he knows what to deal with. Doesn't take a lot.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Doesn't take a lot for him to get to meet a wrestler who can, or a grappler who can sweep him on the ground and out grapple him, or to meet a striker who can, uh, out technique him on the feet and knock him out. But, Pretty much every fight he has, he goes out trying the exact right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he went out against Michael Alexejik, immediately tried to out-wrestle him. Went out against Rodolfo Vieira, tried to out-strike him. Went out against Treshawn Gore and just, like, fainted a shot and then blasted him. Went out against Dolce Lundjambula and, you know, weathered the storm and grabbed a submission. Mm -hmm. Like I think he's a pretty thoughtful guy with a pretty limited skill set.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Sedruquius Dumas is a guy who is used to totally dominating people with almost no technique at all. He is a guy who would be
2: nothing without his physicality. Or rather, he'd probably be a much better technician without his physicality. Because clearly it has insulated him both from losing a bunch of fights where the opponent knows more than him, but also insulated him from having to learn anything.
1: Yeah. And Josh Frem just totally exposed him in his last, his last hundred percent.
2: Yeah. I was, which I was glad to see because yeah, still too often we look at some athletic monster and we're like, okay, I guess maybe I'll pick you. And I think in that one, we're like, no, you shouldn't win this.
1: I think I picked him still. I I just was like, ah, eh, don't cut It trust happens. Friends.
2: I mean, it, it happens. But I was pleased to see like that there is a certain barrier of technique that even freak athletes, and I don't even yeah. know that Dumas is that level, but that that even really good athletes need to develop. Like he's he's significantly worse than say like Michael Morales.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Another,
2: no no another, question. Another freakish athlete the UFC signed recently. He's he came into the UFC even in Morales' first UFC fight with a lot less technique than him. Yeah. And he's a mess too. So
1: so while Dumas might blast Cody Brundage with a kick or a long one two or something like that. Yeah. I have to pick Brundage to go out there and take him down.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, that was my feeling as well. But I I don't know. Brundage is just he's a little fragile. He does. He doesn't really have a great ability to not get sucked into somebody else's game. Uh, but yeah,
1: I mean, I think the big thing with him is just it's not even getting sucked into somebody else's game. It's just that his, the game that he wants to do the thing he wants to do his skill sets everywhere. Are so limited, right. That even applying things well can turn into somebody else's game. Like, True. He yeah. went out there and took William Knight down. Great plan. Got swept and like elbowed into oblivion by mm-hmm. William Knight. You know? He went out there and uh he largely kicked he, he spent a lot of time kickboxing with Nick Maximov. Mm-hmm. And he got sucked into the wrestling exchanges and he survived them. All right. But he couldn't win the grappling exchanges in that game. No. In that fight. But like Alexejic, he didn't you know he didn't go out there and try to out kickbox Alexejic. he just got he got stranded
2: mm-hmm. yeah and that seems I, to happen uh, too often to him
1: unfortunately. it does it does but all of these fighters even well with the exception of knight and that's maybe the concern but knight is also like a heavyweight on easy you know, easily at tr- yeah. at times dumas is big too but
2: he's not a he's not that kind of pile big. of bricks like William Knight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, they're all people who have what much deeper individual skill sets than Dumas. Other yeah. than, you know, Vieira, Maximov, Alexejic, better wrestlers, better grapplers, better boxers by far. Yeah.
2: I think that uh, was my hang up though. Looking at this, that like, it's one of those fights where I'm the only guy who does anything that makes sense to me is Brundage. I have to pick Brundage, but I cannot really trust him. He's he uh, getting stranded is a good way to frame it. Yeah. And yeah, he could just stumble into what turns into a crazy, messy fight. And no, D- Dumas is not better than him, but
1: he's bigger. He's stronger. And um. yeah, I just get the feeling that Dumas is like, Everything that has come up about his life seems incredibly messy, so yeah. I have no feeling of like reliability that this is a person who is doing a good job training to get better in any way. No,
2: I mean you can look at – like I said, there are, there are similarly um, daunting athletes – yeah, who who get into the UFC way too early in their careers, and all of them pretty much are better technicians than Dumas. He is an absolute mess. He is as bad a technician as um as uh, uh Austin Lane on the main card. Yeah, yeah. He he doesn't have the excuse of being a heavyweight.
1: Yeah, and he he's and Lane is somebody who also like stays in good shape and
2: right, right, right. right.
1: Like you know has come to fighting after a whole different athletic career. Right, exactly. Yeah, It required a lot of discipline, so he may not be the best technical fighter because he came to fighting really late after doing something else for his whole life. Dumas just seems like he decided to become a pro fighter.
2: Because it was and something to do. Yeah, he just it doesn't seem to, to take do. it take it very seriously
1: and yeah it doesn't seem like he takes it very seriously he didn't seem like he was in shape to fight a friend particularly mm-hmm. and like i say everything i hear about his life outside of fighting is very messy yeah
2: um all right two picks for brundage i'm happy yeah. to pick against an absolute mess a, a messy cheater like uh like <laughs>
1: Alright, Brundage is the favorite here opened at minus 107 currently minus 178 Dumas opened at minus 103, currently plus 160 Alright, let's spend just a couple minutes talking about this, the the undercard for last week
0: To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today The Hey Not The Face podcast. The MMA vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows. The 6th round post fight show. The show money podcast. And the MMA depressed us.